Hi, everyone. I'm Karen Karitzer, CEO of the ARC and Ida Lewis. And together with Heather Evans, our Vice President of Development, we host the ARC Waves podcast. ARC Waves shares best practices and habits of diverse performers and leaders. These inspiring leaders are from all stages of the leadership wheel, from seasoned CEOs to emerging leaders, risk takers and innovators, for-profit and not-for-profit. Our guests are trailblazers, serving as beacons for those striving to be outstanding leaders in the disabilities field and beyond. Hello, this is Heather Evans, and on this episode of ARC Waves, Karen and I talk with Peter Johans, an associate professor for the television radio degree in the Roy H. Park School of Communications at Ithaca College. He has worked in a variety of capacities in various television stations, including as a news anchor, reporter, producer, and director, and received several grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting to produce and direct nationally distributed documentaries on issues including homeless populations, working poor families, and struggling dairy farmers. In addition, Peter is an established entrepreneur, having founded a consulting firm and created a reality TV game show. Peter has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Communication Studies from SUNY Cortland and a Master's of Science degree in Television Production from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. We are honored to have him here as a guest to speak about how to effectively communicate an impactful story and how to leverage the various social media paradigms in order to do so. Hi, Peter, and welcome. Great to have you join us today. Hi, Heather. Hi, Karen. How are you today? <laughs> Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that uh, introduction, I think, is, is quite uh, impressive. And, uh, you know, we just want to sort of jump right into that a little bit about your background that we heard. Prior to becoming a professor for Ithaca College, you worked in a variety of capacities in various television, television stations and produced and directed nationally distributed documentaries on social issues, including homelessness, poverty, and struggling dairy farmers. How does this work experience influence your current work as a professor at Ithaca College? Well, I think, you know, my uh, my position at Ithaca College, I teach uh, television production, and uh, we're uh, in a very kind of hands-on way. Uh, we like to call it experiential learning uh, to sound more kind of academic. And so uh, being able to come in with a professional background in which I did a lot of different things, everything from being on air uh, as a news anchor and reporter uh, to being behind the scenes as a multi uh, multi-camera studio and remote uh, producer and director uh, to being a documentary producer uh, for PBS. It uh, enabled me to kind of understand kind of, uh, the wholeness of, uh, of the production process. And I can kind of, I can take my experiences that I have as, uh, as a professional and be able to apply them uh, within my teaching uh, to the students. I think that, you know, I, I let them know that at one time I did, you know, make a career out of this. Uh, someone actually did pay me to do this uh, type, of, uh, type of stuff. And, uh, and, that, uh, and that I'm there to teach them how to, uh, how to make television. And so I think, you know, in terms of how it 
has influenced my uh, current work. It, uh, it is very much framed because you can't really read about making television. You mm -hmm. know, you've got to put in uh, the time and have the experiences both positive and negative. And, uh, and I share those experiences uh, with my students as well, too, uh, so that they can hopefully learn from, uh, from me uh, in terms of as they go into developing uh, their careers, uh, whatever career path that they choose. Yeah, what a great way to take it from uh, theoretical to practical. Absolutely. I mean, and, and certainly we do talk about the theoretical components of content creation, uh, depending on the uh, distribution methodology. Uh, and, and, a lot, and that's a very fancy way of saying, like, we think about, uh, about how we make television and then we go out and make uh, that television. And while we're, you know, uh, my students certainly are not uh, professional caliber at this point, and I, I do remind them that we're operating in, in, in an amateur environment, mm -hmm. uh, it's still, you know, the, the effort that you put forth into this carries on. And I, and I hear this very much from, you know, the, I've been teaching at Ithaca now for 21 years. Uh, so they have a, a very low standard, uh, in, uh, in <laughs> professors, but, uh, but I hear this, uh, from my alumni all the time that, what we did in class is the same thing we are doing on a professional level. It's just that there's a way more money involved uh, <laughs> right. in, uh, in it. But the concepts uh, that, uh, that I've been able to kind of incorporate within, uh, within the classroom environment about kind of teamwork, uh, working together toward a common goal, understanding uh, everyone's role within, uh, within kind of the production are all lessons that can be applied, whether my students go into kind of working in television and media, or for even the students that choose different career paths, they still pull upon the lessons uh, that they had here at, uh, at the Park School of Communications. That's amazing. I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of uh, the pieces that you were talking about, too, is the importance of uh, visual tools and how you use those not only in, in teaching but also and how they're going to use those in their in their professional career later on obviously with the television radio degree i just want to move into our next question communicating an impactful story is critical to our success as an agency whether it be with attracting donors or people who may need our services or advocating to our state legislators for needed change what have you found to be the best visual and or audio tools to use in order to communicate stories in the best way possible? Well, I think, I mean, you mentioned the term story, and mm -hmm. I think that that is a really key, uh, key terminology in terms of how to engage people. Uh, and, you know, we use the term audiences a lot within uh, within my profession uh, in that uh, we want to be able to engage an audience. We're creating messages that are designed to, uh, to uh, again, have an audience be enthralled, uh, if you will, by the content that's, uh, that's being created. And, you know, this notion of kind of stories is something that we as humans have always been drawn to. Uh, and with the advent of media and mass media, those stories have been able to be shared with a much wider audience. 
and as technology has progressed uh, over uh, over the decades and within the past century, the ability to kind of deliver stories in a very engaging way to a lot of people has increased and, and changed in, in so many ways. And, and when you talk about kind of the best, uh, the best visual and audio tools in order to communicate, it's being able to kind of, again, take this, this technology of video and audio and being able to, I mean, we, again, love movies. We love television. Mm -hmm. We love radio as a culture because they tell us stories, whether those stories are fictitious or whether those stories are true in nature, that we, again, as uh, as humans and, and cultures all across the world are very engaged by the notion of being told about somebody. It's almost kind of voyeuristic in, uh, in a lot of ways in that we like to watch what happens to other people, whether they're again uh, created in a fictional environment or if it's uh, if it's uh, quote unquote true life and I found that as you know that visual uh, that the moving picture combining it with audio uh, and music is such a powerful uh, component of telling stories I mean I cannot get through watching Toy Story 3 without crying <laughs> like uh, a little because it's such I mean listen I intellectually I know this is a cartoon sure These are this is not real and here I am sitting there trying to hide the tears from my wife and child <laughs> as, uh, as we watch this movie as I have created an emotional connection mm. to these to these cartoons and uh, and uh, animated uh, people because the, the the mediums of kind of television and and uh, and movies and and just the visual arts cr allow us to kind of get to know these people yeah. and get to establish that kind of uh, connection. I think that's so powerful, and um, I know Heather's probably going to comment something similar. But we uh, here at the Arcanetta Lewis really um, have so many fantastic stories, success. Mm -hmm of you know the variety of programs that we have here we want to showcase that but we also want to make sure that people feel connected to the uh those that are in the story and see how successful these programs have have, have been but how meaningful they are to them so i think part of that story that we tell uh here whether it's our videos um or using sort of you know variety of social medias we really feel it's important to to have that expression but as you're saying how do you really make that emotional connection to your audience who's seeing it? and i think that's really really incredible heather yeah no absolutely i was going to uh comment the the description of that kind of voyeuristic nature and that compelling feeling that we have of wanting to be part of other people's lives or see part of uh another person's lives like we're amateur ethnographists uh uh, out there just exploring what's going on. And I think for us uh, in the nonprofit world, trying to tap into the power of those connections and how universal they are, because as you said, you're relating to an animated toy coming to life and what the trials and tribulations are and how that moves you. But there's a universality in the feelings that you're having there um, that I think are what connect us, and through those stories, we can we can find those connections. Also, um, just in terms of um, thinking about our audience uh, in general here, with so many generations involved in our field, 
why is it important to leverage the messaging power of a variety of social media channels? Well, I think that, you know, in terms of the advent of social media and, uh, and its kind of infiltration into, uh, into our culture is, uh, is very interesting because it really took the kind of uh, the means of, you know, when I was studying television, when I first became a professional, there were very few people who could kind of create stories and distribute them to a large audience. You know, you either mm -hmm. had to work at a television station or in some professional kind of uh, media uh, outlet. And, uh, and with social media, it really changed the whole kind of ball game, so to speak, in that everyone now has the, uh, the capability of, of doing so, or I should say ostensibly everybody has that, uh, that capability. And what it has led to is a real proliferation of people being able to share uh, their own stories. Uh, and being able to kind of share those experiences that they have with a lot of people without having to go through these kind of traditional uh, these traditional uh, media outlets. Mm -hmm. And it uh, and it's it's important for kind of, you know, across the generations. You know, growing up again, I grew up in a very kind of traditional, you know, we had three TV channels to watch and that's what we had. And uh, and that's and you got your news from the newspaper uh, that came or the radio station. And now we see that information is being shared among people. And certainly the Internet was the big catalyst for that. But social media has taken kind of the, the notion of visual and audio storytelling and put it in the hands of people. And while there are a great deal of positives along that, I think we've also seen the negative ramifications of that in terms of the dissemination of false and misleading information and uh, and the and the false legitimization of such information. Mm -hmm. and, unfor and unfortunately, that's a consequence of the ability for everyone to basically be a media creator now. What's, and so, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what's interesting about what you're saying is that um, so many of us in the nonprofit world are out um, using social media to get our stories out about the work that we do. Um, and it's become a very saturated market, right? I mean, we're all trying to compete. We're all out there um, in addition to every other organization, every other individual who has uh, Facebook or other, other social media posts out there. So how do you um, how do you try to distinguish yourself or differentiate yourself um, along the way? Do you think that's possible? That's a great question. I think it's very possible, and unfortunately, there are people who make what could be construed as poor choices in terms of being able to differentiate themselves through either kind of uh, extremist type of uh, language or dealing with very salacious type of uh, content mm -hmm. as a means of uh, as a means of audience engagement. But I also think you know, uh, and and while there may be some kind of uh, tertiary kind of success at that type of approach. I think the more the more effective approach is being able to genuinely tell the stories of uh, of people and events uh, that are taking place in the world that ha that people can truly relate to. And I think the the ability to to 
know your audience and, and we talk about that in, in my field a lot is this uh, is this notion of understanding who your audience is and getting to know your audience and being able to create content that is relatable uh, to uh, to that audience uh, you know in terms of uh, you know my social media presence and and I have created a very different kind of content than I did when I was, uh, let's say, a, a public television documentary producer is because I'm, I'm making humorous content that I feel is relatable to my audience. And in that way, I've been able to kind of differentiate myself among the, uh, the myriad of all of the other voices that exist within, uh, within social media to garner an engaged audience. You know, Pete, to that point, you are considered somewhat of an influencer with your impact in TikTok. Um, but, you know, Karen and I had talked about this a little bit. Is having a large number of followers always the best measure of whether or not you've made an impact? Or are there other parameters that you can look at as well? No, I think, I mean, certainly it's nice to, uh, to have a lot of followers, so to speak, and to be able to, you know, claim large numbers. But what is what has always been very important in media, whether it be social media or traditional media, is being able to garner the right type of audience. And that's, you know, and media has been doing this for a long time in terms of audience measurement and demographics and psychographics and being able to identify, like, who is the audience that we're trying to reach with our message? And we're not just trying to cast the biggest net possible. Mm -hmm. When when television first started out, it was very it was taking very much that approach of we want to get as many fish into the net as possible, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And with the advent of cable and then the subsequent kind of even more division of uh, or uh, division of content distribution channels. Now, I when I cast a net out, I'm looking for a very specific type of fish. And uh, and that and 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 so that becomes much more effective in terms of instead of me saying I want to catch every single fish that's in this uh, that the, that's in this ocean, so to speak. I'm looking for the specific brand of tuna uh, <laughs> fish that I uh, that I want to uh, that I want to catch. You know, uh, and so carrying that analogy out a little bit further then. Um, if you're looking for a certain type of fish, is it possible to catch it with a variety of different nets, um, so to speak? You know, some fish will be caught that are the fish you want with something like TikTok, and other fish will be caught with uh, something like Facebook. Um, is that Abs possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's again, to keep using this fish analogy, uh, and <laughs> It's, you know, being able to say, okay, this is a different type of uh, fishing line or pole or bait, uh, if you will. And a lot of this is kind of bait driven where I'm trying to bait my audience into kind of being engaged with uh, with my messaging is that, yes, you know, with Facebook, uh, if I'm fishing, quote unquote, with Facebook, then I'm using a different type of bait to be able to get my audience. And again, I'm not using bait in, an, in a negative uh, connotation, mm -hmm. but just from a standpoint of being able to kind of, again, utilize the, the, 
the methodologies to be able to engage the audience in the way uh, that I that is most effective, depending on the platform. Facebook is a different methodology than TikTok is. YouTube is a different methodology than Instagram uh, is. And it's important for people to understand that it's even though we use this kind of term social media as this umbrella term, that they each operate in, uh, in different ways. And the audience interacts and engages with each of those kind of social media platforms very differently. And the way that those stories are told on those media platforms very, uh, very greatly. I create, you know, uh, humorous scenarios for TikTok, but I do so within a, uh, I try to come up with something within a 15 to 20 second time frame because I know that that is what my audience's kind of attention span is on that platform because there is so much kind of uh, content being streamed at them. Whereas if I'm creating a, uh, a show that is designed to be seen on broadcast television, I'm taking a very different approach to that because I know that my audience is invested a lot more into that content rather than expecting to like, okay, you better like give me something quick or I'm moving on, right. uh, which, is, which is very much more in, uh, within the TikTok type of environment. I think also, um, you know, what I think is interesting about if you have something that you're regularly doing with your content, right? You have TikTok, you've amassed a, a followers of over a million followers. You have, um, you know, a lot of different content that you have there, but you also have a YouTube channel. We have, you know, a variety of, of things that we use here in social media, but I think what's really important is being able to keep um, uh, you know, your content um, consistently out there rather than having, you know, you, you put uh, a bunch of TikTok videos up and then, um, or we for here, for example, we have um, our episodes for podcasting. We don't want to just stop, you know, we want to be able to have some regular um, activity that our listeners um, can rely on to be there, you know, whether it's weekly or whether it's, uh, you know, monthly, whatever. Do you find that that is a challenge in your, in your world? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, especially like, you know, I always have this kind of, uh, background anxiety, uh, for lack of a better term of, am I going to run out of ideas? <laughs> uh, and, I don't think uh, that's possible, Pete. <laughs> and, and, and I hope that it's not possible. And, and certainly, you know, as a media creator, you know, it's always kind of like this, you know, it's, it's funny, I'll, uh, I'll create a video that will do incredibly well. And we'll have, you know, 9 million views on it uh, on, uh, on TikTok. But then I'll be like, okay, now what am I going to do next? You right. Know, how am I not necessarily how am I going to top this, but a lot of it. And then I'll create another video and, I, and I'm in this kind of like false comparison of like, well, why doesn't that one have 9 million views? <laughs> sure. What did I do wrong? And now I've got to try to come up with another idea. But it is this kind of notion of that the audience, you know, has these expectations of continually being fed. Mm -hmm. and uh and 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 my responsibility as a content creator 
is to not get stale with the type of uh, with the type of content that I'm giving them, and to be able to read my audience to uh, or anticipate when my audience is getting kind of fatigued by the type of content and being able to modify. Uh, my content and grow my uh, content. And so, yes, th this notion of kind of like always having to come up with ideas to be able to make sure that my audience is engaged is very much more so in, uh, in the social media world than it was. I mean, when I was producing documentaries, I could come up with two or three ideas for a documentary, you know, a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so when I came up with my idea, of, you know, to do a documentary on uh, on highlighting uh, the plight of working poor families uh, within uh, within central New York, I had uh, I worked on that documentary for eight to ten months uh, in terms of that. Uh, and uh, and now I am kind of like, OK, that was yesterday's idea. <laughs> what is today's idea that I uh, that I need to come up with? It's also a reputational issue, right? I mean, you got to make sure that um, what you're doing and what you're putting out there, um, and you're doing it regularly, uh, is not going to harm your reputation if you, you know, somehow go off in a completely different di direction, or, you know, um, or uh, you know, find challenges with that. But you know, one of the things that we find really important here for this podcast, and Heather and I have always talked about with the mission and the purpose is, it's always about, um, you know, do we have a person who's connected to our agency, or do we have somebody we want to talk about who's connected to the disabilities field? But it's also important to recognize there are other issues that, that matter. Right. For example, how do you tell and communicate a story, you know, in the most impactful way, having you on to talk about that? Or, you know, do we talk about, um, you know, wellness at mm -hmm. some point? Because mm -hmm. those things matter to the people that, that may be listening. Right. No, absolutely. And that, you know, to me, resoundingly, the advice and the description of the storytelling and the importance of telling a story to engage an audience and, and also knowing your audience um, matters not just for you as a content creator, matters not just for, you know, a television television producer, but it matters for agencies like ours who, you know, touch nearly 1,500 lives in a two-county area. Um, we need to be able to tell those stories and share those with people and drive uh, action, whether it's being advocates or donating to the agency, but also smaller agencies, smaller nonprofits who maybe don't have the resources and don't have the budget the power of social media and the way that you've demonstrated it can be harnessed is very impactful. Are there any kind of tidbits you could share that would be uh, more applicable to an agency such as that, someone small with limited resources, both from a budget standpoint as well as some, from a personnel standpoint? You know, I would say in terms of advice is that, uh, again, to go out and try stuff. Uh, and see what can uh, can try to resonate with uh, with an audience. And again, it doesn't take a lot of uh, resources to be able to do so. Again, in this world of social media, I think that's the great thing about you know how the quality of our of our cell phones has increased so much that everybody primarily has a, almost a broadcast quality camera. Right. <laughs> uh, now, that while that's still the case, it's still kind of uh, it's still an art form. 
And it's still, uh, while everybody can do it uh, in the sense of they have the capabilities from a, uh, from a technical standpoint, it's also, again, the notion of understanding how to utilize kind of visual uh, and, uh, and audio uh, to, uh, to be able to engage an audience. And that comes with kind of uh, experience and, uh, and trial and error. But I think for, you know, uh, organizations that have limited budgets who are concerned that, gosh, can we be able to create the, the type of quality of content that's going to engage an audience? One, the audience is somewhat forgiving of the type of quality of content, again, de de depending on the platform. If the audience is watching something on traditional kind of broadcast television, they have a different expectation True. than if they are uh, than if they are engaged with something on a social media platform. But at the same time, there are still those kind of artistic necessities uh, in the in the execution of the content. Meaning, I can't you know I can't have the shot out of focus. I can't have poor lighting. I can't have audio that isn't uh, that isn't audible. Uh, for my audience or to be cutting someone's face off, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and while they those might seem like, quote unquote, obvious things to a professional practitioner such as myself, for people who are just getting into the for uh, into the foray of this, these are the considerations that need to be uh, that need to be applied in order to create, again, effective audience uh, engaging content. And so, but the only way to do that is to do it. As I, uh, as I said in the beginning of, of the podcast, you can't learn about this by reading it in a book. Right. You've got to, you've got to get out there uh, and, uh, and start creating content and learn how, and certainly, you know, utilize emula emulation. And I talk to my students about this notion of, uh, you know, try to see something and not copy it, but emulate it and put in your own kind of uh, spin or touch on it, but start to understand like what are the aspects of that content that make it engaging to an audience and, and start to understand that from an intellectual way so that you can apply that to the content that you're fin creating. Fantastic. But it, but it is very, very possible for smaller organizations with limited resources to start to tell the stories of the people that they serve. Because again, an organization like yourself does amazing things for, uh, for the community and people within the community and, uh, and provides a tremendous amount of opportunities and, and you're a service organization in, uh, in so many ways. And you wanna be able to share the stories of the people who are being impacted so that the community has a better awareness and, and understanding as to what your organization really does. And, and social media really allows that to happen uh, in ways that traditional media hasn't, uh, hasn't been able to uh, or wasn't able to do uh, historically. Wow. One of the things that I think is really interesting too, uh, Pete, is that um, the generations and, and sort of what they gravitate towards, <clears throat> for example, and I am no expert on this, but I certainly know that my um, teenagers are more interested in TikTok than perhaps I may be. And, um, and I wonder about making sure we are aware and as well informed as possible on the nonprofit side of, you know, who are you planning to target? If you're looking to target, you know, the teenagers and 
um, age 24 or whatever, or 35. Mm-hmm. And that market um, of TikTok tends to be something that's they sort of saturate. How do we make sure we get that message out to that group in the right way? Um, do you find that that there's things that we need to know about each of those social media platforms in terms of is it mostly intergenerational or, or what kind of thoughts do you have about that? Yes, I think it's I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, TikTok is, again, for a younger generation, although there has been more utilization of it by uh, by older, uh, older kind of demographics within the past couple of years. But it's still a very kind of, again, younger generation. And again, you're dealing with content in a very condensed type of way Mm -hmm. and the and the ability to kind of again create content in a compelling way in a short period of time because the attention span on tiktok is not uh is not very long at all and if you're trying to reach you know uh a uh an older demographic if you will then tiktok is not the venue for you right uh but if you want to be able to uh, tell the story of, uh, of somebody who's been impacted by your organization, you can create that story in various iterations depending on the platform that you're being right. distributed by. Meaning that, you know, you might take a, a longer form kind of uh, approach for a YouTube dis- uh, YouTube main channel distribution and being able to create almost like a highlight of the story for TikTok uh, as a means of kind of creating this kind of interest level. I mean, I look at TikTok in a lot of way like a tapas kind of uh, <laughs> you know, uh, restaurant to where it's like you're getting a little bit of taste of something and gee, I like that. And maybe hmm. I'll go seek that out on a longer form, uh, on a longer form kind of uh, kind of delivery uh, system. But you know, th- there is there, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to take this and put it on every social media platform. Sure, it's it's got to be that okay, this is created for Facebook in uh, in a different way that it's created for Instagram, that it's created for. Um, for TikTok, that if you're creating Snap stories uh, for Snapchat, uh, you know, uh, which is a very young uh, demographic, and and it goes back to this notion of who is the audience that you're that you are indeed trying to reach with the content that you're creating, mm-hmm. and that's uh, and that's uh, you know a lot a lot of lot of money is spent on research uh, into audience. So that uh, so that the message is delivered uh, effectively to the desired audience. I think this is extremely helpful. I mean, I'm just jotting down notes here because we're going to call you after this and and hit you up (laughs) for a little bit further discussion. But um, I'm sorry, Heather, were you going to say something? I was just going to say I I just find it so fascinating, Pete. This information, as Karen said, it's it's a lot of information. It's it's very dense. My eyes are wide open, and I'm so interested in everything you have to say. And I love. Uh, piecing together some of those historical changes. You you talk about the different paradigms for communicating via social media, and it makes me think of, you know, maybe a couple decades ago if an organization was had a story that they wanted to tell, they would tell it a little differently in the newspaper than they would craft the story for the television than they would for the radio. So I love seeing those similarities, and, you know, I really appreciate you sharing all that. Absolutely. Uh, it's been uh, it's my pleasure to be able to talk uh, about uh, 
you know, uh, the media and its role within our culture and uh, and certainly how that landscape has changed so tremendously, especially within uh, within the past 10 years. Absolutely. So we're going to um, we're mindful of, uh, of our time here um, and we want to make sure that we get to our lightning round questions that uh, Heather takes on every episode, which is very fun. Um, so I, I just want to again thank you, Pete, for all the uh, great information that you have uh, provided here. Um, and I mean, we could spend um, about three hours just going through each of these topics with you. But um, we'll have I you. Do, I do love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to turn it over to, to Heather to, to do a few lightning round questions now. All right, Pete. So these are just some fun questions. We like to ask a couple of simple questions of each of our guests and uh, kind of humanize uh, the voice on the other end of the line for our listeners. Are you ready? Sure. All right. What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Uh, I guess my favorite thing to do would be riding my bicycle. Nice. Uh, and uh, my wife uh, bought me a very, uh, a very applicable poster uh, within the past year. And it's a quote from Albert Einstein, who this is about the only thing that I share with that man. Uh, <laughs> and it says, uh, it says, I thought of that while riding my bicycle. <laughs> I so, love that. Uh, so, yes. Do you, do you have a basket and a bell? <laughs> also, <laughs> I, I don't. It, that that would slow me down. Right. So, is a road bike that you like? Yes. Nice. Uh, I uh, unfortunately I have about uh, six bicycles, so it's a it's a little bit of a uh, uh, an obsessive hobby. So well, we we won't judge. We won't judge. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pete, what is your favorite thing about your job now? I think my favorite thing about my job is the, uh, again, the ability to work with my college students and have fun while teaching uh, and having them learn in a fun environment. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I, uh, I truly enjoy. And I, and I take great kind of pride in seeing where my students, uh, their careers go and their lives go. Uh, I just, um, uh, Wished one of my very early students uh, that I had teaching at Ithaca a happy 40th birthday. Wow. Um, uh, and, and that made me feel incredibly old uh, <laughs> for, uh, for that. But, uh, but, you know, to be able to make a connection with students that last uh, long before or long after, I should say, the, uh, the four years that they spend in college. Awesome. And then our final lightning round question. What is the most frequent piece of advice you give your students and why? I think the, mo the biggest piece of advice that I give my students is that, and, and this is a very general and vague piece of advice, uh, but you're going to figure it out. Uh, because a lot of my, a lot of students, especially college students have this kind of anxiety, uh, and I deal with this a lot when they're going to graduate that they, you know, and I talk to them about this notion of like, since you've been five years old, we have adults have told you what's next. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, after second grade is third grade, after seventh grade is eighth grade, after, you know, high school is college. And they come to this kind of end of, uh, of this educational path. And they have this very natural anxiety of like, well, what do I do now? Tell me, just tell me what to do now and I'll do it. And I'm like, I can't do that. Right. Cause I don't know what, uh, what that is, but I do know, that you're going to be uh, that you're going to be fine and you're going to be okay. 
Uh, and, uh, and that is probably the best uh, advice that I give to my students. Well, Pete, I would say that that is fantastic advice for, for me and for everyone else who is listening, that it is all going to be okay, and sometimes the next step isn't immediately transparent, uh, but it will come, and uh, it will all work out. So on that note, I'd like to thank you so much for coming and speaking with us today uh, via phone. Uh, next time you'll have to ride your bike all the way up here to Utica. But, uh, <laughs> but we really appreciate your time. Yeah, we do. And uh, we hope you have a nice rest of your day and come and visit us another time. Thanks again, well, Pete. Again, yes, it was my pleasure uh, to be able to speak with uh, both of you uh, and Karen, Heather. And thank you very much for, uh, for being so desperate for a guest. Uh, that you guys, uh, <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye. Disclaimer, the views, ideas, and opinions expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the official policy or position of the ARC Oneida Lewis chapter, the ARC New York, or any other agency, organization, employer, or company.